I'm your host, James Rattazzi. In last week's podcast, we looked at some of the athletic competition metaphors the Apostle Paul employed in his various epistles. One of the passages we looked at came from 2 Timothy chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says about himself, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. This week, I'd like to focus on another phrase from this passage. The Apostle Paul says, I have kept the faith. What does this mean? Now, I've heard some say that this means I have kept my personal belief in Jesus Christ. This is part of it, but what the Apostle Paul is saying here is much larger than that. Notice he doesn't say, I have kept my faith. He says, I have kept the faith. Also, keeping the faith is not making things up. Many view religious activity as people holding to rituals and traditions that other people have made up. Now, to be perfectly candid, these days, that is what most religious activity is. That sort of religion is not keeping the faith. I often refer to the warnings that Jesus Christ spoke that are recorded in Mark chapter 7, where Jesus condemns the kind of thing that most religion practiced today has devolved into. Let's listen to this conversation, which also looks at some verses from Jude to hopefully shed some light on this, and after that, I will have some additional observations. I mean, did you put any thought into the idea of keeping the faith, what that's all about? No. Sorry. You want to read Jude verses 1 through 3 and we'll converse a little bit on that stuff? Okay. 
Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I am very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write an appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What's Jude saying? seems to be that he's saying that people have been, again, trying to change, or, yeah, change, I guess, things, change the, the faith, the gospel, you know, what, mm-hmm. what was given to them, like, what, I guess, Paul was saying earlier or something. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul says, I have kept the faith. The discussion we were having is, what do you think that means when he says, I have kept the faith? So, to contend for the faith. So yeah. So, usually that means right, that's something like, yeah. to fight for, or to, to make sure that you're... That it's... Uh, it's what you want, I guess. Let's look at that word for a second. That's in verse 3. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. The verse starts off with, by the way, so although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I was planning to write to you. I really wanted to write to you. But I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. He wanted to, but then conditions were such that he found it necessary to write to them to contend for the faith. So this word contend, what do we often use it in reference to? You're saying like I hold you in contempt? That? No, that's not a different word. That's contempt. Okay. It's often used, think of the noun form of the word contender. Sports is what I would think. Yeah, exactly. Boxing, right? Someone who's the number one contender for the heavyweight crown. He's not the champ, but he's fighting for that position. Now, that gives us a little bit of insight into the definition of the word contending, what, what it means to contend for the faith. Let's say, hypothetically, I'm the number one contender, and you're the champ. We're about to have a boxing match. The bell rings, and we're both in the ring, and I say, you know, I really don't want to be bothered punching this guy. Can somebody else punch him for me? (laughs) What's going to happen if my attitude is, I want to be a contender, but I really don't want to expend any effort? (laughs) What's going to happen? I guess you're not going to get to fight for the title. What's going to happen is you're going to put my lights out. While I'm standing there saying, could somebody punch this guy for me? You're going to take action, and boom, I'm going to be down on the mat. So what do you usually see, for example, in a boxing match or any kind of sporting thing where you've got opposing persons or opposing teams contending for who's going to be the winner is you see them putting forth an earnest effort, right? They both come out punching. 
both teams be watching a hockey game both teams are aggressively moving the puck around on the ice and they may even be knocking into each other as a matter of fact that fits nicely with the figure that the Apostle Paul uses, right, where he says, well, you know, everybody who's in a race runs, only one gets the crown, so you're going to run like somebody who wants to win the crown. He even has a boxing one, too. He says, I don't just beat the air. I think that's in that same passage. I don't fight like someone beating the air. No, there's purpose to my activity. There's purpose to what I'm doing. Do you find that that is an attitude among most of the rank-and-file believers in most of the churches that you've been to. Are they contending for the faith? Are they battling for it? No. Most of them just started hanging out around <laughs> around the ring. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it's just a passive game. And that's why in my figure it's like, okay, I want to be a contender. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But will somebody else do the work for me? You know, will somebody else be the contender for the faith? So, there are things going on that even though Jude wanted to write to them, he found it even more necessary to write to them because he felt that he had to encourage them to contend for the faith. Mm -hmm. So that relates to keeping the faith. Remember that word, the G... 5083 that we looked at when we were looking at um, 2 Timothy when he says I kept the faith. That word crops up in this passage too, but in a different sense. In verse number 1 he starts off with Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. There's that word G5083. So the fact that the believers are being kept for Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Well, that means they're they're not the group is not being sullied. I guess it's not you know being watered down. I guess that's a good way to put it. So who's keeping them? First of all, so in this case, who's keeping them for Jesus Christ? might be tricky for the way that's being put, but who's taking would, care of the believers? If I had to pick, I would say the Spirit? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, God. Christ is taking care of us for Christ. But the point is, we're being kept. If I bought some Haagen-Dazs and you know, I wanted to keep it for you, I wouldn't just leave it sitting out on the counter. Because by the time you got home, it would be all melted. I would not have done a good job keeping that ice cream. I would do what was necessary, put in the freezer so that it's kept. You know, things need to be done in order to keep things, to preserve things. So the individual believers are being kept, and the individual believers are also being encouraged to contend for the faith, or like the Apostle Paul put it, to keep the faith. Jude goes on to say that for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated, this is verse 4, for this condemnation. Ungodly people who, per who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So, perverting the grace, what are they doing? 
when you pervert something, what are you doing to it? It's the opposite of keeping it pure. I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, in fact, I might say something and you might misapply what I've said. This happens all the time in politics. You're perverting what I just said. And people speaking perverse things, just twisting things up. The people who are not contending for the faith, but the people who are attacking it, the people who are perverting it, the Bible always gives them an evil motivation. You notice that? We often, when we hear somebody teaching something that's incorrect these days, we might be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, this guy just wasn't taught correctly. This guy just doesn't understand. I'm sure he means well but he's not teaching the right thing. Well, the Bible doesn't say that about people who are teaching error, the people who are perverting the faith. The last time we talked about this, I asked a question about what are some of the things the Apostle Paul did to keep the faith, and one of them we mentioned was about when he was correcting the people in Antioch and then also in Galatia about adding to the gospel the necessity to to circumcise the Gentiles and he made a very strong point but also I thought of another one too in Acts chapter 20 and this is another passage that's a later passage for the Apostle Paul and he's not going to be seeing them again and so he calls to the elders in Ephesus and he warns them he says in verse 30 of Acts chapter 20 and from among your own selves I think the NIV says and from your own number will arise men speaking twisted things right perverse things to draw away the disciples after them so that's a pending motive it's kind of like don't follow Jesus Christ follow me that's the motive he's thinking that people perverting the gospel for right Mm -hmm. and so he says therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears that's him keeping the faith if someone's admonishing somebody with tears how committed to their admonishing are they being (laughs) probably pretty committed yeah and this is another attitude that we have a, a difficult time with he says and from among your own selves so what does that mean so people who either were or professed to be Christians? Yeah, members of the church. So someone may have been at one time a member of in good standing, but he might start speaking twisted things. And this is the Apostle Paul warning the churches not very many years after... Uh, this is still the apostolic age. This is still during that first hundred years of the church. He's warning them about this. How many churches do you know of where they're being alert for people among their own number? (laughs) Probably almost none of them. (laughs) Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's even a tendency in churches that if you say, this teacher may have made a mistake in what they're teaching, usually that kind of comment is not very well received. Instead of saying, well, okay, let's open our Bibles and get this straightened out. If someone's absolutely certain they're right, then this is an opportunity to teach the guy who's saying, well, I don't think this is right. So the reaction should always be, no matter what you think about the correctness of the person who's raised some concerns, 
the reaction should always be, well, let's open up our Bibles and look and see what's going on here and correct who needs to be corrected. Mm -hmm. Especially since it's not a very big leap from what the Apostle Paul is saying here to us saying, well, we've got to be doing that ourselves. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I mean, something like this occurred at, at my you know, last church that I came from before I moved here. Right. Where, like, there were other things also attached to it, but there were definitely some things that people weren't sure was correct teaching at the time. And, and I didn't see any kind of effort to either side of trying to, you know, come together and figure it out. They just drew battle lines almost. <laughs> so if we're all well acquainted with what the Apostle Paul is teaching here, then when these things come up, should all have the attitude, well, let's just stop what we're doing and see what we need to do to all get back on the same page. At the very least, you can attack this from so many levels. You can say, well, look at this now. The Apostle Paul warns that from your own number, people are going to come in, so we should be looking out for each other. One. Number two, the Apostle Paul also tells us to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if some member of the church is saying... I don't know if this teaching is right. Even if there's no merit to what they're saying, this is a disruption in their unity. They're not all on the same page now. They're not all being of the same mind and the same judgment. So if we're going to carry out that instruction, we need to address it. Well, let's sit down and talk about it and let's come to the same mind. So if you don't do that, are you keeping the faith? I don't think so. No, you're allowing it to rot. You're allowing it to spoil. It's like you buy a piece of meat and you just leave it out and put it on the counter. What's going to be the condition of that piece of meat the next day if you've left it out on the counter? It's going to be ruined. Is it going to be edible? If you need to sniff it, what's it going to smell like? <laughs> Something your dog would eat. You haven't kept that piece of meat in an appropriate way, so it's fit for your consumption. There are a bajillion examples of this sort of thing, but this was a major part of the Apostle Paul's teaching, and this was a major part of the events that we see recorded in the New Testament. There are all these various examples of keeping the faith. So it's not just, even though the Apostle Paul went about preaching the gospel and making sure people got baptized, you know, converting people, making disciples, that wasn't the whole story. The whole story wasn't, okay, you're baptized, you're fine, now just continue doing what you think is right. No, that's not where it ended. There were people who were converted, and they had started to make mistakes. They started to do things wrong. Some of them there was a good turnout, some of them not such a good turnout. But the point is, that's pretty much outside of converting people and explaining the facts of the gospel. That's the other major thing that's going on in the New Testament is this contending for the faith. And you see in Revelation, the second and the third chapter, that there was a variety of different challenges happening to the various churches. Now, if we understand what keeping the faith is, 
what do we need to do in order to do our bit to keep the faith? First, we have to make sure that we know, you know, we're sure we know what it is. And then to encourage, you know, people that we're interacting with that are Christians to do the same. And then if, I guess as a, hopefully, you know, last resort, if they don't, then uh, do that whole section of, you know, have nothing to do with them. There's a lot we can do before we get to that and having nothing to do with them. We should create an environment where this is the normal thing that we do. To if bring it up and talk about it? Hmm? To bring it up and talk about it? Yeah, bring it up and talk about it. Like, it's not such a big deal for someone to say, I don't, I'm not certain that this teaching that we're teaching here or this practice that we're engaged in is in agreement with what the Bible is teaching us. So let's talk about it. You know, let's all get together and figure out what we need to do about it and have that not be like, what, what are you talking about? You're saying our preacher is not preaching the right things? You're attacking our preacher? It's like attacking the president. You're attacking our president? No, he doesn't make any mistakes. He's the president. No, he made mistakes before he was president. He's going to make mistakes after he's president. Same thing with the preacher, too. The preacher's just another human being, just like you and me. The way that the preachers are kept from abusing their situation is that you've got a group of elders who are well-versed in the Bible that are keeping an eye on things. And a lot of the churches in this area of the country don't have elders. And there's sort of a tradition that is developed, and it's a tradition that's in a lot of churches where, and I said this before, the preacher's the guy in charge. So it's like there's no accountability. There's no transparency. There's no nothing. If you don't accept what the preacher is preaching, then you need to go someplace else. Uh, yeah, ties a lot into the idea that we talked about before of like the same mind. Yeah, same mind and spirit. Is that it? Hmm? Same mind and the same, same mind spirit. and the same judgment. judgment. Yeah, okay. it, it's all tied together. It's too bad I didn't have this connection right at my fingertips when I was dealing with this before because people get tired of me <laughs> quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 saying that we should be united in the same mind and the same judgment although the reason why if somebody's repeating something to you over and over again it's because why? But they get important and you're not getting it. Exactly. They think you don't get it. Exactly. But I could switch off. So if I see people's, oh, he's talking about unity again and their eyes glazing over, I can just switch off to, then let's talk about 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 where the Apostle Paul says, I have kept the faith. What does that mean? There's another issue in the Jude passage. Verse 3, where he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And then the last clause of this verse, that was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean? I guess I would, my mind jumps to maybe a lot of them are, or maybe that part is for the people who didn't, or who thought that there's something else coming after Jesus, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
that's a good point. But when he says once for all, you're on the right track. And then that for all, I mean, for Jews and Gentiles. When Jesus came and he enabled the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh, and this gospel was communicated, that's it. It's been delivered once for all. It's not going to be new gospels, there's not going to be any changes or amendments to it, and it's not going to be delivered again. And that connects with Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What the gospel is, what's been delivered is this unity of the Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit are all in agreement, the apostles too, and we should be in on that and not wandering off and not modifying it or having different flavors or varieties or anything like that. There should be no divisions among us. So when he says, yeah, once for all, this is it. I'm giving you this thing, you need to keep it. Here's your entire food supply. You're not going to lose it. Oh, well, we lost it. Can you give us another one? No, it's been delivered once for all. You have it. So that's why you need to contend for it. You need to keep it. You need to maintain it. The trick for us, 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later, is to first of all figure out how to get ourselves to that place that... Jude is talking about here that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Jesus were talking about this unity of the Spirit, this pure message of the Gospel. Get to that and understand that and then do our job to keep it. Do our job to maintain it. So first we have to get ourselves to where it is because I've said this before, the first time I read that passage about maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, my first thought was, wait a second, I don't see any unity of the Spirit. All I see is division and variety, and I don't see what you're talking about here. Where do I find this unity of the Spirit? How do I get to where that is so that I can keep it? How do I get it so I can keep it first? How do I do that? How do you get it? The unity? Yeah. I mean, like earlier, you, you got to know what know what it is that you want to be unified about, which is, you know, found in the Bible. Right. And then, I guess, find people who also want to do that same idea. <laughs> so this all revolves around the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word. And that's what this Word was here for, to give us the gospel. So what if I'm like, well, I'm not much of a reader and I'm not really interested in familiarizing myself with this Bible. Is there another way I can do this? Oh, is that, I thought that was a rhetorical. I mean, it, it could have been, right? But let's say I pose it as a question. Is there another way? The fact that you took it not as rhetorical. That I know it. Yeah, not that I know of. <laughs> not what? that as, I don't think anybody is... <laughs> what if I said, well, Jeremy seems to know what he's talking about. Jeremy seems to be a skilled Bible person. I'll just follow him so I don't have to go through all the bother of reading it for myself. I'm sure he's got it right. Is there anything wrong with that? 
all people are fallible and all people are biased, you know, no matter how good they they hope to be. And so putting your trust in a person is very very iffy. Dangerous. Yeah. And a lot of people do that though, right? A lot of people, a lot of people do. get yeah. impressed by a person and say, Oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. I'm gonna follow him. Here's the other thought that pops into my head. How are you gonna know that this person knows what he's talking about if you don't know? If you're not familiar with the topic that he's talking on, yeah. then if he speaks with sufficient authority and gravitas, you're going to assume. Doesn't that happen all the time? If somebody just says something, it doesn't matter if they have the authority or not. If you pick something up on this table and you heard a voice behind you and said, put that down, you'd probably put it down immediately. Probably. And then you turn around and say... Wait a second, that guy just walked in, you know. The <laughs> creatures are so well trained in this too. Speaking with a great deal of authority and gravity. They're expected to be the the head. So yeah, they act like it and right. then other people want them to be. It's a cycle, you know, yeah, that a, feeds itself. Exactly, it's a cycle that feeds itself. The corollary to this idea, how are you going to know if you're not familiar with the Bible that someone is teaching the correct thing? So you can figure out who you might be able to listen to. The corollary to that is, if you're taught by somebody, and that somebody is teaching error, well, the error they're teaching you think is the right thing. So you don't have a problem with what they're teaching because you've been trained up by them. So then if somebody comes along and says, wait a second, I don't think this guy's right, you're going to take it personal. You're going to say, wait a second, I believe exactly what he's teaching. So if somebody says to you, why are you reading the Bible all the time, what are you going to say to them? Because, so that I know what to believe in, you know, for myself. And at least I've have it, had a chance to reason it through myself. Instead of just taking somebody else's word for it. Yeah, exactly. And it's the word of God. Why wouldn't you read it? It's just like, what if you came home one time and there was a messenger parcel on the kitchen counter and you say to your roommate, what's this? Special messenger came and delivered this note for you from the president. Are you going to be like, oh, well... Jeopardy's coming on. I'll read this later. <laughs> Some people would. <laughs> Some people might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But chances are, you're going to tear into that puppy and you're going to be very interested in knowing the message the president has from you. Well, God is much more important than the president. <laughs> The letter of Jude is a pretty short letter. It's just one chapter. It's pretty much all about this contending for the faith. A related expression occurred to me that I did not think of during this conversation. Maybe it occurred to you also. I haven't heard this much lately, but concerning the final resolution of a matter, one might say, we're going to settle this once and for all. That is to say, in other words, this is it. We're done. I googled the phrase once and for all and found this definition. Now and for the last time, finally. This is exactly what is being said in Jude 3. 
and elsewhere in the New Testament, all the more reason for us to clearly understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, when he declares, I have kept the faith. This faith that was delivered to us once and for all, finally and for the last time, by Jesus through his apostles, needs to be kept. The word translated kept here and in Jude 1 and also as keep or maintain in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 that I'm always quoting is the same word in the Greek. Strong's number G5083. And this word means to attend to carefully, take care of, to guard. Every one of us has this responsibility. And how are we to know that we have this responsibility if we pay no attention to God's word? We will be judged in the end by the job we did in keeping the faith. In other words, we will be judged in the end by how carefully we attended to, took care of, guarded the faith. How many of us will be able to honestly declare at the end of our lives, as the Apostle Paul did, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not deja vu, I ended last week's podcast similarly. It's that important. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Fine gold.